Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast with me, your host, Danny Kennedy, and you're listening to episode number 49. What's up, guys? Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, Today's guest, he's a professional athlete. He's the captain of the Adelaide 36ers at the age of just 24, which is incredible. He's an extremely good friend of mine, and we also come from the same hometown. We grew up together, um, and that guest is Mitch Creek. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and I've been looking forward to this one. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, we are joined today by Mitch Creek, the captain of the Adelaide 36ers. So Mitch, thanks for thanks for joining us today, man. No worries, man. It's great to be here talking to you. Appreciate you coming on, and um, I just wanted to kickstart the show by, uh, I'll, I'll get you to just kind of have a brief chat about what what uh, what you've done in your basketball career so far and kind of how how you've ended up where you are now um, captaining the, the Adelaide 36ers in the NBL? Yeah, so I guess it started for me back in Horsham in country Victoria, obviously where you, you grew up as well. Um, I never thought that I'd be in this position by any means. Uh, it it was, wasn't something that I ever thought about. I never thought that this was possible from where I came from. And I guess, you know, what I grew up believing um, and, and hoping for and wishing for finally came true one day, which was just by luck or hard work or whatever it was, but something blessed me along the way. But started in Horsham, um, played for the you know the Horsham Hornets, and you know my first junior team was the Cars RS, and I didn't play much the first two seasons. Uh, I had pockets in my shorts, and I used to walk <laughs> up and down around the halfway line with my hands in my pockets. And it wasn't until about two years into playing basketball that Mum sewed up my pockets, and I actually had to start playing. So kind of happy that mum had the sewing machine at home and put it to good use because otherwise it would have still been on the middle of the court walking around <laughs> but um yeah from there you know we we did the you know all the country tournaments and went around to Echuca, Swan Hill, Geelong, Ballarat you know we did all those little tournaments and represented Horsham and our team was actually really fortunate we had some really good basketball players and we had a good balance of you know athletes and shooters and you know people that could play D and we just had a bit of everything and I think surprisingly enough, we won the majority of all those tournaments uh, going around and obviously with you being a, a few of those, uh, you were there yeah, uh, sure. to be a part of it. So, you know, to go away at Nationals and represent a little country town like Horsham and, you know, finish like a seventh or an eighth or something like that, like, that's a, a tremendous effort. So from there, I guess, you know, it started to go into ITC training camps, which are uh, intense training programs, which was just like a weekend away where you'd do three or four training sessions a day uh, for two or three days at times and you'd stay overnight in the gym in a swag or, you know, a little fold-out bed. Um, You just kind of got used to what a a really hard fitness, you know, kind of regime and program would be coupled with basketball skills and they do development for mental skills and stuff as well. So you really got a glimpse of what, I guess, the next level was like. Um, And there was, you know, state selections and, playing at national championships for under-16s, under-18s, under-20s both years. Um, and in my 18s year, I actually led the tournament in nearly most categories. It was points and rebounds and steals. And, you know, I think my field goal percentage was up there as well. And, you know, that's where I really kind of caught the attention of the people at the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra. Um, they actually offered me a scholarship and I said no. Um, I wasn't ready to, to go. I... I 
you know, I'd never left Horsham, I'd never left my family and my friends, and I was too scared, honestly, to go, and it wasn't, you know, for a couple of weeks, I'd actually called them and said, look, I'm not, I can't do it, like, I, I don't want to go, but... How old were you then? Yeah, thankfully, mum and dad kind of pushed me in that direction, and I, uh, you know, I took the leap of faith and went to the Institute of Sport and spent a year and a half there, and learned from, you know, Marty Clark and Paul Gorris and, you know, Adam Caporn and... Ian Stack has some tremendous basketball, you know, coaches and, and figures. So I suppose for me, playing against the, you know, the 10 to 12 best players in Australia on a daily basis, twice a day, lifting, going to school, you know, completing everything you needed to do to be successful in life, I suppose, you know, on the court and off the court with an education. You know, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I might have missed it, Mitch, but what age was that that you went to the Institute? So I, I did most of the institute stuff probably when I was about 15. I went and did a tour there, and then I just turned 16, and that's when I signed a contract to, to go over there and be a part of a scholarship. So I spent the, the good part of two years there at 16 years old, uh, moving away from home. So obviously that's why I kind of had my doubts because I was, I was honestly so scared about leaving home and leaving family and friends. So uh, it was certainly a young age to kind of get over there. Yeah, definitely. What, do you, um, what what point do you think it was? It at that point that you went to the institute that you you know you started to think that you know maybe you could start to make a living out of basketball, or did did your goals kind of change or your aspirations change once you you got that position at the institute? Yeah, I, I never realised kind of the significance of it at the time and, and how prestigious it was. Um, you know, being from a small country town, you just you're not really aware of you know, the big fish in the big pond, you're just kind of looking at what's around you and in hindsight, you know, it's it's a, it's a huge achievement and, you know, it's something that I'm so glad I, I finally took, you know, the opportunity with both hands. But, um, you know, I, I had my goals. You know, the, the funny thing was I was probably only about 11 or 12 when I wrote these goals and it was playing a world championship by 20, I think it was 2012. Or 2010, I wrote that down. And then it was like play for Australia, um, have your name on an Australian jersey, and then the other ones were like be able to do 50 chin-ups and 50 push-ups in a row. And you still <laughs> so, can't do that. Yeah, I still, I still <laughs> can't do the chin-ups and the push-ups. But um, you know, that, they were funnily enough, they were goals that um, I remember we wrote down at school one day, and I put them in the bottom drawer in my bedroom. And I eventually got new drawers and stuff for my room as I got to 15, 16 and, you know, becoming a bigger boy. And I actually found them about probably a year or so later after I went to the Institute and came back home and we were in Dad's house and I found all those all those goals I wrote down. And by that stage, I played in a World Championship. I played for Australia, had my name on a jersey and I was like, holy heck, I need to make some new goals because, yeah, that's awesome. you know, right now, if I've done this and I didn't realise that I wrote this down maybe I should start setting a little bit higher and that's exactly what I did. So my goals changed every uh, three months. I would review them. So I'd write down a, a two-week goal, um, a one-month goal and a three-month goal and then I'd have a, a six-month plan. So I would always work in about six months and obviously I'd have you know big goals on the wall. It might be you know 2012 London Olympics. It, it could be you know world championships you know, in two years' time. But... You know, those were the big goals I looked at, but I always worked in short-term goals, and I guess that's where it kind of started from. 
Yeah, awesome. And then obviously you eventually stepped up to to the NBL. Um, I guess was that the the next stepping block after the institute? Yeah, I, I suppose that it was a choice I had to make between college basketball or professional basketball, and it was one that I made, you know, pretty swiftly. I was told everything I would have loved to hear as a young man, but starting to to really develop my mind a little bit, I suppose, on the, on the basketball court and off it, it was, I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to hear what I needed to get better at and the colleges were, were kind of saying everything I was already great at and trying to make me feel really good about myself, but I wanted someone who was going to look me in the eye and say, you're no good at this, but yeah. we're going to get better together. And uh, the only person that did that was Marty Clark, who actually left the Institute of Sport in my final six months there yep. and went and coached. Uh, and it was the head coach of the Adelaide 36 at the time. And, you know, I looked at the idea of playing NBL. Uh, as he left, he kind of sat me down and said, I want you to play for the club uh, next year. And that's where I said, all right, well, if I don't go to college, then, then I'll do that. And I chose not to go to college, stayed around the institute. The plan was for another 12 months, roughly. But I, uh, I got a call probably about six weeks after that. And Nathan Herbert had actually done his ACL and Marty called me up and said, hey, we have a contract for three years here with your name on it. If you want it, it's yours right now. And I reckon I flew out to Adelaide probably two days later. Yeah, shit. And had a look around, met some nice people there and signed the contract. And I guess the rest is history from there. Yeah, that's crazy. It all happened pretty quick then. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a short turnaround, but one that I was, uh, I was pretty happy to make. Yeah, sure. And uh, obviously, stepping up into the um, into into the NBL, you're not playing against guys the same age as you anymore, and there's some bigger bodies, and and you're still relatively young, really. Um, you still are now, but at what age did you start really um, preparing yourself physically to be able to play against older guys and, and be able to battle against, I guess, men um, and still hold your ground? As in, like, what 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 age did you really get into the gym and start strength training and, and yeah. try and put on some size? Like, was that one of your goals coming into the NBL to really get some weight on um, early or what, what was the um, plan of attack? Oh, well, it, it kind of started at the Institute of Sport. We had uh, Jan, who was you know, a tremendous trainer there, and I think she's still there, so a huge shout-out to her if she's listening. But, you know, we uh, I went in and I've got some uh, before photos, which I'll try and dig up. Um, but I was, uh, I was like 81 kilos, I think, or 79, 80 kilos. I'd done about probably before the Institute of Sport, before I left, I did about six months of training with Tony Lloyd and, you know, his son and some other guys. And, you know, you were a part of that as well at his gym, which was just a lot of, I guess, body strength. So chin-ups, push-ups, you know, sit-ups, dips, lat pull-downs, sprint work, you know, a bit of conditioning and stuff like that. All fundamentals, yeah. Yeah, so I really tried to, to build a really good base. Um, I got to the Institute and I was still around that, you know, that 80, 80 kilo mark. So I was really light for a, or somewhat light for a 16 year old. But, you know, my body started to change a little bit. I went from that, you know, awkward, skinny, six foot two frame to a, oh, he's got a little bit of, a little bit of definition there and a little bit of shape coming along. But I was still, you know, I'll, I'll find the photos, but I was still a skinny young, young boy, to be honest. And, in my time at Institute in this in the 16, 17 months or whatever it was, I put on around uh, 15 kilos. Shit. Um, that went from, you know, I was eating 
you know, big meals and it was, you know, five or six meals a day. Um, I was really trying to get my calories up and, and just try and eat, you know, as much as I could every single day. Like I would eat from seven in the morning every two, three hours for the whole day. And my big meals were like big meals to the point where I felt sick. And, and then it was trying to force down, you know, a couple of glasses of cordial and a Milo and, you know, just trying to put on as much possible sizes as, as I could because at the time, you know, we were lifting nearly every single day. And even if we weren't lifting every day, I was going back in and trying to do extras and going back to those fundamentals. Like we'd go and do our Olympic lifting or our kind of prime movers and, and you know, working everything. But then I would go in in my spare time and, you know, get my chin-ups and my dips and my push-ups in and, and just try and work on those because that was something I really loved to do. So in those two years or 18 months, whatever I, I, it was, I'd, I literally transformed my body and, I got to the NBL and um, thought I was going to be in a pretty good, you know, position physically and mentally. And I walked in about a week into practice. I remember sitting at home. I nearly burst into tears. I was like, "Holy shit! I've got a lot of work to do." <laughs> and you know, we were playing against 110, you know, 120 kilo men that could dunk and move and slide and run and shoot and pass and. I just did everything, and it was like, am I way out of, like, am I really bad at basketball? And <laughs> I had to actually sit down and kind of look at myself in the mirror and be like, all right, you got to get to work, son. Like, you know, you thought you were good beforehand. Like, you know, really, like, you aren't, you aren't anything until you prove yourself on an everyday basis. And these guys were proving it every single day. So, you know, I, I got back in the gym, and I was like five days a week, you know, heavy lifting, like plyometric training, you know, trying to work on my fast twitch fibers because realistically that was all I was going to use and I wasn't going to play a lot of minutes, but when I was in, I had to play effective, efficient minutes. So, you know, it was another two years of actually working in the NBL, you know, until I was about 20 years old before I really started to hold my own. Yeah, that, that's unreal. And in regards to basketball, coming into your first season with the Sixers or even at the end of the first season, what did you and the coaches kind of identify as, I guess, your strengths and weaknesses um, that you figured out pretty quickly that you needed to work on that you may not have really seen before when you were playing against guys um, similar age and similar size? Yeah, well, I came in and, you know, to be honest, I couldn't hit a... I wouldn't have hit water falling out of a boat uh, with my shooting. So um, that was one thing that we put a kind of a, a big tick against. Um and said, all right, we need to get in and work on this and break down your form and, you know, break down everything and, you know, try and rewire your brain to turn you into, um, you know, a triple threat. Uh, at the time, you know, I could I could get to the rim, I could play D, uh, I could dribble, you know, somewhat at a, a high level, but there was so much I didn't understand about the game of basketball and even to this day, there's still much I need to learn. Um, you know, one of those things was just getting in every single day, trying to be the first guy in, last guy out, you know, asking questions, being curious about how can I get better every single day. And if I didn't ask those questions, I after a couple of days of not doing it, I was like, well, what are you here for? Like, are you really going to try and push yourself? Are you really going to try and be the best player or basketball or a person you can be? You know, I wasn't maximizing every single day. And it took me a couple of months to really kind of wire that in. Um, and I think ever since my... You know, my approach has changed, um, you know, but those those are the simple things I, I had to really try and focus on because, you know, to, to be a great player in this league, you need to be able to shoot the ball at a high level um, and you need to do all those other little things. But 
I guess the you know mentally and uh, and my shooting were the two biggest ones that I put a lot of time and effort into. Yeah, and you know I guess as scary as it seems, what you're 24? Are you still 24 at the moment? 24, yeah. Yeah, so you're 24, captain of the Sixers, and almost considered as a uh, oh, I guess you are a senior player in in the uh, Sixers team. Do you take that responsibility now to? to share the information that basically you just spoke about now to the younger guys that come into the team and really drill it into them that that's what it actually takes to make it to the next level that even though they're on the squad they're still you know they're still a long way off where they need to be yeah oh definitely you know we we had some young guys in this year like Terence Ferguson um, you know Anthony Drimmick who went to college <coughs> and I went to the NBL you know he comes into the league this is his first year you know this is my seventh year now so yeah there was so yeah. much that you know, he thought he was going to come in and, and, and be a certain type of player. And it was, it, I think it was a bit of a shock, um, you know, for him at first. And it was just a matter of trying to say, hey, look, speak to the coach. Find your role. You know, find where you fit in. Where's your niche? What, what can you do to help this team win? Um, you know, but there was a lot of times where, you know, players would, would turn and ask questions. And you would walk in and you would see something happening. And you would say, that's not right you need to fix that right now so then they don't make the same mistakes you did. Yeah. Now, sometimes you'd leave it and you'd just say in you know, a month or two months, it would be like, oh, well, you know, you should have you should have done this then looking back in, in hindsight and they go, yeah, you're right, I should have. And they kind of learn for themselves but, you know, for me, I'm, I'm far too competitive. I want everyone to be the best they can be right now. So, you know, if I saw someone working out in the morning and I was like, well, that's not going to translate to a game. I'd walk over and say, "Hey, what are, you, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you getting out of this exercise right now? Oh, I'm, I'm doing this. All right, well, that's not going to help you because in a game, you, you 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 get to this position, but then you don't do it, and you have to pump fake, and then you, it's a bad choice. So, you, you see habits and you see little things that just go on, and you're like, I've made that mistake so many times, and I had to learn myself, or someone above me, you know, at the time mentally came over and said, "Hey, that's not going to work." And, you know, as a professional now, I see those things and you walk over and you say, hey, try it this way because this might work a little bit better if you do this. And they go, oh, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. They do it. It works. And then, you know, a week, two weeks, they might not even say anything at all, but they might go, hey, thanks for that. That really helped me. Yeah. And that's the best thing about, I guess, being somewhat of a veteran and, and someone who's been in the league and been around a long time now. So, yeah. you know, it's really rewarding to see that. Yeah, and obviously not only rewarding for them to improve, but improve the uh improve the team as well yeah definitely uh, so on this show uh mitch we get we get a, a lot of guests that come on that are that are leaders so whether it be leader of their their field that they're in um whether it be leader of their team um and i think a lot of leaders uh you know lead their their team or their people in different ways what type of leader do you do you see yourself as I believe that. How do you best communicate to to your team, um, or how do you show your leadership, whether it be at training or um, on game day, or or even just hanging out, hanging out with the boys? Yeah, I I believe that I'm someone that you know, I lead by example uh, first and foremost. Uh, I I put in the work. Uh, People see that, and it's not just what they see. It's it's what you know you might hear, or it's what you might you know see a glimpse of. It's the off season work. It's you know, right now it's the it's the, it's getting in the gym. You know, regardless of how sore or tired you are in the off season, when no one's watching, when no one's around, you know, doing that work, getting in preseason. You know, first one, you know, first day of, of preseason, and you're in there looking like you're ready for the season, and everyone goes, 
shit, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to work right now. Um, you know, putting myself in a position physically and mentally to start the season off as in good a shape as I can be. Uh, from there, that kind of translates onto the court. Um, I want to be the first guy to dive on a loose ball. I want to be the first guy to to motivate someone else and, and lead by example and make a big play and you know yell and you know you beat your chest and you turn around and you provide energy and you you generate that feel of hey we've got this hey we're okay um, you know that's kind of where I started um, you know but then from there you, you go into like my maturity as a leader now I think where. You go around before the game and you just say, hey, you know, how are you feeling? Like, you settled in. You know, you, hey, you were doing this during the week. That's fantastic. Reminding guys of, you're a professional basketballer for a reason. Yeah. You know, don't don't doubt yourself. Don't for one second think that you can't go out there and be the best goddamn player on the court tonight because you have every bit of potential to do so. And when you can translate that through in 100% like dead honest conversation, that's where you really start to connect with players. And I think this year, you know, we saw that, you know, with a lot of different players in our team. And, you know, Matthew Hodgson was one of them. You know, he came, you know, from someone who's doubted himself a hell of a lot to every single day, I would remind him that he is the best goddamn center in this league. And this is a stepping stone, this league, for where he's going to propel himself in the future. Now, every single day he would hear it. And at the end of the season, he's now re-signing with us. He's getting paid what he should be. You know, he's on everyone's radar. He's on the NBA list. You know, he is someone who, through maybe himself and a few other people, have helped him get there. You know, you, you, you just can't be more proud. So, someone who can inject that feeling into everybody um, and then lead by example is, I think, the kind of leader that I, I strive to be every single day. Yeah, unreal. Now, man, I know you're pretty you're pretty strapped for time here, so I've just got a couple more questions to get through, and um, and I'll let you go, but. You briefly, you briefly touched on it then, but uh, give us give us an idea of what the off season looks like for you, uh, assuming that you're healthy at the time. What what does an off season look like for you? Uh, it's uh, it's pretty much six days a week. Uh, I take one day off, uh, which is normally either a Sunday uh, or a Wednesday, um, and then from there it's pretty much three sessions in one day. And the next day is two sessions with a kind of recovery. So that might be like a yoga uh, or a Pilates or like a long kind of mobility and stretching session or, you know, just kind of freeing up a lot of muscles and you get a lot of deep tissue or self, you know, massaging as well. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it, it could be gym in the morning. So it might be gym from 7 till, you know, 8.30 in the morning. And then it's get home, have uh, another round of breakfast. Uh, again, then it's get back to training at 10 o'clock. We normally get on court with Joey for about an hour of real individual-based improvement. And then it's about an hour of kind of scrimmage, you know, one-on-one, two-on-two. A lot of competitiveness kind of goes in there. Training kind of finishes around 12. Uh, He can normally nick off or do whatever he needs to do. Uh, We'll normally stay around, get extra reps up, shoot, ball handle, Normally, we just keep playing. Um, you know, if I haven't won by then, I'll keep playing until I win. So sometimes it can drag out, but uh, normally um, I like to try and wrap it up nice and early. Um, but then in the afternoon, like you go home, relax, kind of, you know, get your food in again, you know, really kind of decompress and do something completely polar opposite of basketball. Um, and then in the afternoon, it's, it's go in, shoot, get your reps in, work on your form. You know, a little bit of ball handling, a little bit of passing stuff, but 
you know, probably an hour to 90 minutes of, of just straight shooting, spot shooting on the move, and then kind of conditioning, shooting at the end, and then free throws. So most days pretty much look like that. Um, sometimes we mix it up and we throw in, like, conditioning in there as well and, yeah. you know, throw in some extra. But, you know, normally we're scrimmaging pretty hard most days, and um, I like to try and get in and, and just get those extra two sessions a day in. So if most guys are going in and just shooting and, and lifting that day, I try and get a, a scrimmage in. Or if we're just scrimmaging that day, I try and lift and condition and then scrimmage. So I'm trying to play my basketball at my absolute most fatigued state, and then hopefully that'll translate into a game when I'm not fatigued. I'll be able to think click, uh, quicker and clearer and, and more effective. So most days are like that. Um, some days we taper a little bit, but majority of the time it's it's pretty pretty full on. Probably about six hours kind of yeah. of training a day. Um, would probably be the minimum yeah yeah it's heavy workload all right just quickly uh best bit of advice for a junior basketballer wanting to make it to to the professional ranks whether it be nbl or even if their their goal and aspirations is to make it to the nba what's your best bit of advice um i think probably like regardless of your name you know your height your size your strengths at the time you know who you are where you come from how many people are there you know, do you, do you wear the best shoes? Do you have the coolest shirts? Do you have all the right gear? None of that matters. All that matters is what's inside and what really, really drives you. So if you really want to be anything, and, you know, specifically for me, a basketballer at a professional level in any sense, no matter where it is in the world, if you really want to do it, nothing at all can hold you back. Not one thing. You can't say there's any excuse in the world just apart from where you decide to put your time. And if you put it in the right place, you listen to some coaches, you're curious about feedback, you're curious about getting better, um, you want to learn, you can be absolutely anything in this world. And that's the beautiful thing about basketball is I thought that it wasn't possible, but I'm a living, breathing example of it. It can be done. And, you know, I never thought I'd be in this situation, you know, speaking to you today. Um, but... You know, it happens, and it happens very, 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 very frequently. So don't think for a second that you can't do it because I'm here to tell you that you can, and it's uh, it's very achievable, and uh, the sky really is the limit. That's awesome, man. All right, I've got a quick speed round, five quick questions to finish this up. Favorite NBA team? The Clippers. AFL team? Essendon. Pre-game meal? Uh, chicken, rice, and veggies. Favorite movie? The Shawshank Redemption. And last one, I think I might know the answer to this, but the prediction for the uh, the the championship team in the next NBL season? The Adelaide 36ers. Thank you very much, my man, for joining me today. Um, I'm sure that the, everybody listening today has is, 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 really enjoyed this episode and, and got a lot out of it. Um, it's been good to finally get it done, man. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get you back on at the end of the next season and we'll be talking about the... Uh, the season that the Adelaide 36ers won the, the NBL championship. Yeah, me too, mate. Thanks for talking to me too. It's awesome. No worries. All right, guys. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Um, as always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Uh, leave a review on today's episode. Um, rate the podcast. It all does help. And I uh, hope you guys are having a great day. And I look forward to talking to you again next week.